Welcome everyone to this new day of session, new afternoon of session, new moment of session. As Ajo mentioned, this is the sixth Rohatsu session that we've done together. Three, three sanghas, five teachers. It's a pretty remarkable assembly. Different styles coming together and meshing from these three assemblies. When do we do three bows? When do we do nine bows? Which direction do we face? Do we three, do three bows after service? Do we do three bows after breakfast? Fast and slow kinhin. Do we wear our raksu over our shoulder when we eat or in front when we eat? You know, all of these small things. Hmm? We gradually mesh them so there's no disturbance. But when we sit down together in silence, then we begin to move in harmony. No matter what style we're doing, it's harmonious. The differences are small, they shrink as the mind ceases picking and choosing, looking at right and wrong. It's just activity, just continuous activity what is common to us all then can emerge. And we begin to experience our Buddha nature and we begin to walk it, to chant it, to sit it. To lie down and sleep it, to breathe it in and breathe it out. to let it breathe into us and out of us, this flowing particle after particle samadhi. Dogen Zenji says, while each lineage expresses its own style, they are all simply devoted to sitting, totally cast in resolute stability. Although there are 10,000 distinctions, a thousand variations, they just wholeheartedly engage in the way of zazen. Once we begin to do zazen wholeheartedly, then the 10,000 differences merge into one way. Kyogen chose this beautiful fascicle from Dogen Zenji, Daigo, Great Enlightenment. It's so appropriate for Rohatsu Sashin. It's so appropriate for the middle of Sashin. Or the beginning, or the end. But particularly for the middle when the body aches, when we're really struggling with the monkey mind, when self-doubt can loom very large. Great enlightenment is, and great illusion is, our experience. Dogen Zenji says, throughout this fascicle of Daigo, great enlightenment is, it just is, always and forever, from beginningless time, way, way, way before what we call the Big Bang, extending into endless future, way beyond the end time of our universe. There's a koan about this called Daizui's Kalpa Fire. A kalpa is the period of existence of a universe, from its birth to its death. Many wonderful descriptions of how long a kalpa is. The standard description is you have a huge stone mountain, a mile high, a mile wide, a mile deep. And every thousand years, an angel 
comes down and brushes the mountain with their wing. And the culpa is how long it takes to wear the mountain down to grains of sand. A monk, in all sincerity, asked Master Daizui, when the culpa fire flares up and the entire cosmos is destroyed, will it also be destroyed or not? Will Buddha nature, will this enlightenment, this great enlightenment, also be it destroyed or not? Master Daizui said, it will be destroyed. And the monk said, then will it be gone with the other? Daisui said, it will be gone with the other. We all know theoretically that the end of the universe will come. But it's comfortably far away, scientists estimate, 10 trillion comfortable years away, or about a thousand times the length of time this universe has existed from its birth till now. Well, it's comfortable. So we don't worry about it. But this monk was worried about it. Very worried about it. This is what a koan is some question that latches onto us and won't let us go. It's always arising, always arising. Maybe we worry a little bit more about the Earth's end. You know, scientists now tell us it's possible for a large comet to hit the Earth and send up such dust clouds that we could enter another ice age and all plant life would be destroyed, and then of course all animal life, and then of course all human life would be destroyed. And we see movies you know, that excite us a little bit with that possibility. Or we're aware of the current climate changes and how they're accelerating and changing our seasons and our plant life and therefore our, our own life. Maybe someday Oregon will be the new Florida because we have water. We'll have a balmy climate. Maybe we'll be able to grow bananas and mangoes in our garden. So even though we have some vague awareness that things could change in our lifetime and become difficult, we've, we can even ignore that, as we have for several decades, since it was first postulated, first noticed. The end that we keep trying to ignore, unsuccessfully to ignore, is the end of our own life, our own end. When I end, do I end? My universe is all I know, this universe of sense awareness and thoughts and emotions, that's all I know. Nobody else knows it. Each person's internal universe is completely different. Completely different. Each person's reality is completely different. We cannot know another person's universe. Even if we live them with them for decades, we can have some hint. We can't really know that they see blue the same way we see blue. That they taste hot sauce the same way we taste hot sauce. Definitely they don't. My universe is all I know when it is destroyed will happen? Will I also be destroyed, completely destroyed? When I end, does my chance to become enlightened end? When I end, does it all go back to start? Does it all get reset and we start all over again? Gosh, what a waste of energy, time, 
or now with all these pending economic changes and, and the real possibility that there could be what we call a Great Depression or a global collapse, huge changes. My universe is likely to be destroyed. My universe is likely to be profoundly changed. Does Buddha nature depend on me? Does Buddha nature depend on my life? Does great enlightenment depend on me? Daizui seems to be answering the monk's question. It will be destroyed. It will be destroyed. When this universe is destroyed, it will be destroyed. And then the monk asks again, but, 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 ooh. will Buddha nature be gone with everything else? With all the rest? Here translated as the other. Will, will Buddha nature go with everything else? And Daisui says, yep. Looks him right in the eye, yep. Always, the Zen master is answering a deeper question, pointing the way to a deeper reality. It will be gone with all the rest, all the other, with everything else, when you no longer see me and the rest, me and the other, me and everything else, or me versus the rest, me versus everything else, it will be gone. Then you and your delusion will be gone. That's the point of your practice, to seek out and destroy, to uproot delusion. Using what instruments? The ones that everyone has. A body, a body that breathes, a heart, a heart that beats and feels, and a mind, a mind that thinks. Those are our instruments. Everyone has them, equally distributed, quite fair, no special equipment needed. We don't have to have one penny to, to practice. But even if the Great Depression comes, we can practice. Even if we lose our job, even if we lose our home, it's foreclosed. Even if we're eating rice and oatmeal three times a day, we still have the instruments. We still have great enlightenment, and we still have the instruments for seeking delusion, for seeing through delusion, for seeing our never-ending Buddha nature, for actually experiencing moment by moment our eternal thusness. How wonderful, how wonderful, the Buddha said, how wonderful, how wonderful. It has always existed, and it always will. How wonderful, full of wonder. We have the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind to experience its wonder. This is a very important aspect of practice, joy and wonder. So easy to push it aside and get grim. My knees are hurting. No, my back is hurting. Another period. This is so hard, boy. Nobody can do this practice except us. But the Buddha talked all the time about joy in practice, about kindness in practice, about happiness in practice. So please, don't push that aside. Bring it in. Actively bring it in. Where's the wonder? Right here in this room. The light subtly changing. The floor shining. The 
breath moving quietly in and out. The wonder is right here. How wonderful. The no eyes, the no ears, the no nose, the nose, no tongue, the no body, the no mind. To merge with it. To be completely engulfed within the mandala evermore. The mandala of this zendo. be engulfed within the wonder of this mandala. When? When we are fetters cut away. What are those fetters? The other, the rest, the something else. Dogen Zenji says, it passes from ancestor to ancestor without alteration. And through them, great enlightenment manifests itself and never ceases. Without alteration, without alteration, that's an amazing statement. Without alteration, it passes through all of the ancestors, all of the ancestors that we chant. And each ancestor that we chant in our lineage has many more branches from. It's a huge tree, unbelievably huge tree of ancestors. Each ancestor we chant has branches. Each branch has branches and so on through the centuries. As it passes through Indians, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, Americans, old, young, sick, feeble, bent with age, young, vigorous, charging around, fat, skinny, graceful, clumsy, greatly enlightened, half enlightened, half deluded, men, women, ancestors. As it passes through all of these thousands of ancestors, it is not altered. Not altered. How can that be? The only way this can be is that it is so huge and so stable that the temporary containers of all different shapes and sizes and colors and ages do not affect it at all. Dogen Zenji says, furthermore, if a small quantity is added or removed from a large amount no change can be seen by anyone, regardless if they are enlightened or not. We take one drop out of the ocean. We can't see that, regardless of whether we're enlightened or not. We add one drop to the ocean. We can't see that, regardless of whether we're enlightened or not. We are that small amount. We are that small drop. Whether this small amount here, sitting here, realizes enlightenment, it makes no difference, no change in great enlightenment at all. It doesn't matter one bit. But whether or not this small amount is realized by great enlightenment makes a big change in our lives. It matters a great deal to us whether this great enlightenment is realized through our lives, through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, breath. That makes a great difference to us. It is the catalyst that transforms samsara into nirvana, that transforms our experience of this life from suffering into ease, from great illusion into great enlightenment. Dogen Zenji says over and over again in this fascicle, great enlightenment always exists. And he also says great illusion always exists. There is nothing outside of either one. There is no outside to either one. 
there is no I separate from great enlightenment and great illusion. No I, no individual separate from great enlightenment and great illusion. There is also no I, no eye, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, separate from great enlightenment and great illusion. What our senses perceive that is great enlightenment right here, right now. What our senses perceive is great enlightenment and great illusion simultaneously. This word simultaneously that the Buddha spoke, how wonderful, how wonderful I and all beings are simultaneously enlightened. Simultaneously enlightened. What does that mean? This is one of the koans that I ponder all the time. And every teacher who comes here from different traditions, I ask them, what do you think the effect is of one person becoming enlightened? What do you think the effect is of one person becoming enlightened? This simultaneously holds the key to that answer. Simultaneously. It's like dropping a crystal into a supersaturated solution. What happens? What unhappens? It's unimaginable. What our senses perceive are simultaneously great enlightenment and great illusion. Simultaneously a dream, just a dream. When we dream, we wake up, we don't take that dream seriously. Hmm? Oh, I had a dream. It was about such and such. And we forget it. Maybe we write it down or we tell somebody about it and then we forget it. We don't take it seriously. So why do we take this walking, waking dream, what we call life, so seriously? Isn't that an amazing puzzle? That all that happens to us in the hours that we say we're asleep and we call a dream, even though it's completely real when we're in it, we're seeing, we're hearing, we're speaking, we're feeling, hmm? could be stabbed or shot in a dream, have emotions in a dream, everything that goes on in this, what we call now, not dreaming, happens in a dream. And yet when we wake up, we go, oh yeah, hmm, that was a dream, not to worry. Maybe the feeling lingers for a while, you know, but then it dissipates. So why then do we take this, which we call not dreaming, so seriously. Oh my God, I had such a horrible life. My parents were so terrible. Well, what? if that happened in a dream, you'd forget about it. You'd be living now, 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 right? So it is simultaneously everything that happens, a dream, it is enlightenment itself, it is Buddha nature manifesting. In stillness, in every movement, in every breath, every in-breath, every out-breath. Great enlightenment. Great illusion. Great illusion. Great enlightenment. Hmm? It's a nice practice, huh? I just made it up. You can try it. <laughs> when the veil of separation from the other, from the rest, thins, great enlightenment is not even a hair's breadth away. A person of great enlightenment refers to someone who does not possess enlightenment from the beginning, 
or attain it from some other place and keeps it hidden, says Dogen Zenji in this fascicle. A person of great enlightenment refers to someone who does not possess enlightenment from the beginning or attain it from some other place or keep it hidden, keeps it hidden. So what is he talking about? They didn't have it from the beginning. They didn't attain it. They don't have it and keep it hidden. Why? Because it cannot be possessed. It cannot be possessed. When we try to possess it, we get in horrible trouble. It's like trying to cram God into a little body. There's this wonderful poem by Hafiz, the Sufi poet, about God and I are in the same boat. Only he's so big, he keeps bumping me out, and then we laugh. Trying to stuff God in, into our little boat here. Trying to stuff, possess enlightenment. Oh, I got it, I got it. No, I don't got it. I got it. No, I don't got it. <laughs> Person of great enlightenment refers to someone who does not possess it from the beginning or attain it from some other place or keeps it hidden. It can't be possessed. It has no beginning. There is no other place, and it is never hidden. That's what Dogen Zenji is saying. Maizumi Roshi used to say, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. Like, you dolt. <laughs> no, he didn't talk that way. But he said, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. How to see this so obvious, how to experience this so obvious, minute by minute, minute by minute, in-breath, out-breath, minute by minute, so obvious. Dogen Zenji says, human beings have many different ways of realizing enlightenment. Some realize the meaning of life from birth and are detached in every stage of their life, beginning, middle, and end. This word detachment is key here, detachment, detachment. We're detached from dreams, right? Wake up, we walk around, we're detached from dreams. How come we can't detach from what we call non-dream? What if every time we fell asleep and woke up, then all the previous things that happened we're just like a dream. Hmm. So we have some big grievance on Thursday. Ugh, that person just drives me crazy. If they do that one more time, I'm going to kick them. Then we go to sleep. We wake up. Oh, that was a weird dream. <laughs> I can barely remember it. I think it was something about, I don't know, I think I was like angry or I can't remember. It's sort of Fading away. Ah, okay. What's here? What's now? Right? Why can't we do that? Every day, gone, a dream. Start fresh. In the afternoon, the morning is a dream. Start fresh. Others achieve detachment by mastering the true meaning of study, that is, self-study. As in, to study Zen is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. The study of one's own skin. That's exactly what's going on here. The study of one's own skin, attending to the field of touch. When we open our awareness to the field of touch, the field of tactile sensation. Could we attend all of the touches? Just try it. It's unbelievable. There's no room for thinking, for attending to all the tiny touches on the skin and inside the body. The study of one's own skin, flesh, bones. It's exactly what's going on in this endo. 
Becoming aware of all the tiny movements of breath. Tiny movements of muscles and bones. As the breath moves, what moves? It's the most beautiful practice. Putting ourselves inside the breath, inside this body that breathes by itself. Just let it alone, let it breathe, and sit inside it. Inside this dark cavern. A dark cavern in which there is a wind blowing in one direction, and then in the other. And the walls of this cavern move. Most mysteriously, they move. And we sit in in utter darkness in this great cavern, aware of the wind, the breath moving in one direction, and then in another, aware of the movement of the walls of this cave. And that's it. This is self-study. The study of one's own skin, flesh, bones, and marrow to sink so deeply into the breath that everything, everything is breath. Even inside our bones is breath. Still others gain it by transcending the world of opposites, says Dogen Zinji. The habit of experiencing everything as opposites is so ingrained and is so central to our fundamental discomfort, to our angst, to our distress, to that friction in our lives, that we don't even know it's happening all the time, that the mind is continually dividing, continually dividing. Will it be destroyed with the other? Yes, it will be destroyed. When the other is destroyed, it will be destroyed. How do we transcend opposites? How do we do what Dogen Zenji is talking about? We know how to breathe. We know how to experience the field of tactile sensation, at first in a very coarse way, and then more and more subtle, more and more from the inside rather than the outside. But how about transcending opposites in two ways? First, by becoming one-pointed. And Master Shen Yang talks about taking the distracted, confused, tangled mind, practicing, 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 until it becomes a simplified mind. A simplified mind concerned only with the breath, concerned only with the bottom of the feet in Kinhen concerned only with the inside of the mouth in in eating. Simplified mind. Like a baby's mind, one thing, one thing and one thing only. And then it becomes one-pointed, really concentrated. Even for brief periods of time, we taste that concentration, really concentrated. And then, It becomes one mind, one mind. And in that one mind, all things are simultaneously and perfectly true. There are no opposites, there are no comparisons. There's this happening, three bows. There's that happening, nine bows. There's this happening, face this way. There's that happening, face that way. There's this happening, say the chant this way. At this speed, there's that happening. Say the chant this way at that speed. It doesn't matter. Another one of Maizumi Roshi's favorite expressions. It doesn't matter. And you go to, to Maizumi Roshi was if you were upset about something, you know, and he'd sit there and he'd listen to you, and you go, and he would say, chosen. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. But, chosen, it doesn't matter. So when we are in the flow of that one mind, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. It just is what is simultaneously and perfectly true. We are great enlightenment and we are great illusion. We are half enlightened. We are half deluded. We are delusion and enlightenment. We are enlightenment within delusion. All are true. None are true. For more than one nen. For more than one nen. One mind moment. This is the most beautiful aspect of Zen. You think you have a place to stand on and it's ripped out from under you. You can't stand on it for more than one mind moment because things are continually changing. Great enlightenment, great delusion, great enlightenment, great delusion, great enlightenment, great delusion, great enlightenment, great delusion. That beautiful poem about the leaf falling. You can only see one side at a time. And then, whoop, there's the other side. Dogen Zenji says, great enlightenment is not conscious of who is or who is not a Buddha. Is God aware of who is and who is not a child of God? Great enlightenment is not conscious of who is and who is not a Buddha. Heiju had that beautiful reading about entering into the darkness fully and it becomes lightened and then we become aware of who are all these people? We've all had that experience. We're so concentrated in our own problems, in our own practice, in our own difficulties. And then as the mind releases its grip, as the mind opens, so Chiyama Roshi says, the hand of thought opens. And we suddenly go, wow, how wonderful. Look at all these people flowing together. Look at this floor. Look at these lights. Look at the light outside. Look at the leaves on the trees. Were they there before? Stagnant water hides a dragon. In the entire earth there is no person Dogen Zenji says, on various people's faces hang Gautama's eyes, but still they beat their breasts in empty grieving. Gautama's eyes hang on all of our faces, and yet we keep on taking the dream for reality. We keep on beating our breasts with grief over a dream. Let it go, let it go. Dogen Zenji again, different types of people have different means of realization and everyone possesses the ability to understand the true function and meaning of their own nature. Different types of people have different means of realization and everyone, everyone, everyone possesses the ability to understand the true function and meaning of their own nature. Five different types of teachers Seventy, about seventy different ways. To understand the true function and meaning of our nature. Seven different ways, right here, to understand the true function and meaning of a human life. A life that is simultaneously enlightened and deluded. Stagnant waters hide a dragon. Dogen Zenji says, this enlightenment exists openly 
in the Buddha and Dharma halls here, but cannot be gained by an old novice. Each line has a key word. A key word. This enlightenment exists openly, openly, in this Buddha Dharma hall here. And cannot be gained, cannot be gained. What has always been true cannot be gained or lost. We can wander around looking for it, but it's nowhere else but in this hall, in these bodies, in this air that's moving in and out, in this supporting floor, in these sheltering walls. It is here, it is here, openly here. It can't be gained. And can't be lost. Nor can it be cultivated by oneself. It can't be cultivated because, because it doesn't grow and it doesn't wither. It is always in flower. It can't be cultivated by oneself, oneself, because there is no oneself. No one exists by themselves. There is simultaneously oneself and one self. There is simultaneously one's self and one self. Dogen Zenji says, Kagon meant that enlightenment and illusion are like two hands on one body. Two hands on one body, one self and one self. Two hands on one body, the body being emptiness, the arms are inactivity. One self in emptiness, one self in activity. Dogen Zenji says, the ultimate goal of our practice is to determine if it is possible for a person of great enlightenment to have illusion. Is it possible for the ruler to stay in the kingdom while the general goes beyond the frontiers? Same thing. Is it possible for the ruler to stay in the kingdom while the general goes out to the frontiers? Is it possible for the body to remain in emptiness, the mind to remain in emptiness, while the arms are in activity? All the activity of the thousand arms of Kanon. Can we remain centered in great enlightenment while functioning in the realm of great illusion? Can we stay centered in great illusion while functioning in the realm of great enlightenment? Through this gate, the self emerges and the branches bear fruit. The great culpa fire destroys everything. Does anything emerge to bear fruit? When the mirror is broken, regardless of what thoughts exist, it never reflects. It is the state of detachment. This word detachment is so important. Sit in that dark place within and watch the seed of delusion carefully. Sit in that dark place within and watch the seed of delusion carefully. We could say the seed of thought because all delusion arises from thought. The body's always telling us the truth. Touch, 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 touch. Sound, sound, sound. Color, color, color. Taste, taste, taste. Smell, smell, smell. But it's out of the mind that the seeds of delusion grow. So sit in that dark place within and watch the seed of deluded thought carefully. Do not let it sprout. If you do this for endless kalpas, that is, sitting in the realm of no time, then 
as Dogen Zenji says, regardless of what thoughts arise, they will never again be reflected as the truth of who you are. Regardless of what thoughts arise, they will never again be reflected as reality. We will see them as dreams, as delusion. They will arise like the veins running through perfect jade. What makes translucent jade beautiful? The veins running through it. What makes the veins beautiful? The surrounding translucent jade. This is the gift of our life. Can we fully realize it and manifest it? Do we have a choice? Enlightenment and delusion. Delusion and enlightenment. Do we have a choice? Dogen Zenji says the ultimate goal of our practice is to determine if it is possible for a person of great enlightenment to have illusion. Each person has to find this out for themselves in their own life. But the finding out cannot be done by oneself. Dogen Zenji says it passes from ancestor to ancestor and through us. That is us. From ancestor to ancestor, that is here now passing through us as we breathe, as we walk, as we chant. Great enlightenment manifests itself and never ceases. Great enlightenment does not depend upon me or upon you. We can't add to it, we can't subtract from it. No matter how good or how bad we think our practice is, we cannot subtract or add to it. It does not depend on us, and yet it is through me and through you that it manifests in the world and brings succor, aid to suffering beings. That is the only way it manifests. It's very important to know at this stage of Sashin, something that Shoda Harada Roshi always reminds us when we do Sashin with him, that as we apply ourselves diligently in our experience of great enlightenment grows, so too also great illusion grows. There are forces that oppose our enlightenment, forces within us. If you've seen the movie The Little Buddha, when he's sitting down under the tree in those last hours before enlightenment, then Mara keeps appearing in different forms as somebody ferocious and horrible, and then as the dancing sensual daughters, and then as an army that shoots arrows at him, flaming arrows at him, and throws spears at him. It was represented as the forces of Mara outside, the demons that try to unseat us from this Vajra seat. This Vajra seat is our seat. If we breathe into the earth, and we are forming a connection to this earth, this earth verifies our enlightenment the same way it did for the Buddha. But we have to connect to it. We have to open our awareness to it our seat, just like a Vajra, like this. Hmm? You place the middle part of the Vajra right here in the Hara, and the point of the, hara, of the Vajra, the one point, is driven down into the earth, so that the earth is continually supporting us. And then the other point is here, hmm? right up in our heart. That's the Vajra seat. When the earth is part of our sitting, then we become so stable. Spears, arrows, yeah. We can't be unseated. So these forces are Mara are the forces in our own mind. That no, we mean business. We're going to sit here for seven days. We're serious about it. Whatever's thrown at us by our mind, we're going to sit here. Sit on the Vajra seat. Notice, let go, return to practice. Notice, let go, return to practice. 
the poison arrow will work its way out by itself. A poison arrow will work its way out by itself. We don't have to know who shot it. We don't have to add any stories to this dream. Notice, let go, return to practice. Experience fully in the body. Dogen Zinji says, this is my very favorite quote from Dogen Zinji. I think I said it last year at Rohatsu time too. Dogen Zinji says, time after time, scoop up the toads and jellyfish in your net and have them put their minds to the work of jumping clear of the net to reach the shore. He's saying exactly, great illusion, great enlightenment, great illusion, great enlightenment. Set great illusion to work, the toads and the jellyfish in this net. Set them to work to jump free of the net and reach the other shore. One of my favorite Japanese expressions, when, when Eijo-san is here, I, I start remembering a little bit of Japanese, and one of my favorite expressions is gambate. Gambate is this great all-purpose Japanese expression for when you've got to do something difficult. It means go for it. Just go for it, like exams or a race or a session. Gambate. Go for it each day. Gambate. Each day when you wake up, say it to yourself. Gambate. Each period when you sit down, I remember so well my first few sessions when I would come around from doing kinhin and then bow to my seat and I would say, you cushion, here we are again. Few swear words mixed in there occasionally when I was really hurting. That's gambate. Here we are again. We're in it again. All of us in it again. So each block of sitting, say to yourself, gambate. Each period, gambate. Each returning of the mind, mind wanders off, gambate. Back again, back to the practice again. Go for it. Until you can say, as Dogen Zenji says, my measuring cup is full and the balance is level. Thank you.